mercy and grace. Uh, we've been looking at this text as it's uh, been developing this narrative of Jesus. And uh, for a while, he's been taking steps closer and closer to the cross. And he's now just very close to uh, being betrayed, handed over, mocked, uh, insulted, uh, beaten up, uh, whipped, and then crucified. Uh, it, it's just a very short amount of time that he's going to actually die. and They'll be putting his body inside of a tomb, a borrowed tomb. And what's interesting about this is, is his demeanor in all this situation. He seems in control. He, he's there eating with the disciples. I don't know if you can remember um, when you had to take a, a math test or maybe a uh, history test or uh, one of those dreadful English tests. Uh, diagram the sentence. How will I use that in the future? I have no idea. Uh, but you can remember the anxiety that you had. There you are trying to remember what in the world is the therefore, you know. Uh, what, what, is, what is, how do you add this? Do you multiply first or do you uh, add first? What, what's the sequence of things? Uh, or, or remember when you had that uh, doctor's appointment, something going on in your life and, and uh, he's going to give you the report of those exams that he did and, and you're nervous, the anxiety that you're feeling. Or maybe there's a surgery that you have to do, and it's a kind of a delicate surgery, uh, and uh, the anxiety that you feel before that. And, and many of us have to kind of drink some chamomile tea or something to be able to sleep the night before. But here Jesus just seems in total control. He's talking, he's giving direction, he's telling them what to be doing. What we look at in this text in particular, what it's communicating, what uh, God is communicating through this text is that disciples do what God tells them to do, and they quickly accept God's grace when they fail. Disciples do what God tells them to do, and they quickly accept God's grace when they fail. Now, I decided to use disciple this time uh, rather than Christian, but it's not because there is uh, a difference between the two. It's not like... Uh, you can be a Christian and, and not really follow the Lord, and then disciple are these elite people who they are really on fire for the Lord, and I'd rather just be a Christian. That, that's not um, what I'm trying to communicate at all. Those who are saved are supposed to be taking up their cross daily and following after Christ. Uh, those who are saved are supposed to be disciples. It's one and the same. You can call it a disciple, a Christian. It's somebody who follows after Christ. And disciples are to go uh, to do what God tells them to do, and they're to quickly accept God's grace when they fail. Now, how, how do we do that? How do we um, do what God tells us to do? Uh, the first point would be that we need to listen to God. We need to listen to God. We do this by listening to God. And we see this in verse 17. It says, Now, uh, <clears throat> now on the first day of unleavened bread, we know that the Passover would happen, and then that would kind of then move into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, the, the first day of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus. So we're talking about Thursday. They come to Jesus and ask, uh, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Now, <clears throat> we see here that they are interested in knowing where Jesus wants to have this Passover. 
We know from Exodus chapter 12, when the Passover was uh, instituted, that uh, people who didn't have the resource to eat the Passover lamb themselves, they could go with other families. In fact, this was supposed to be celebrated by all of Israel, so it, it wasn't uncommon to have p- different people in your home, especially if your neighbor was kind of poor, they could come into your home. And, and so the availability to eat the Passover was really open to anywhere. You could just go anywhere, and, and probably the person would open their house so that you could go. But they're not interested in just going to any place. They want to go specifically to where Christ desires to go and celebrate this Passover. They want to go specifically where he wants. I'm sure they probably had ideas where they thought they could go. Maybe they uh, knew of a place, they had family or something, but they really want to put all that aside. They want to prepare uh, the Passover for Jesus. And this is really interesting because they have this desire to do this. They, they want to go prepare this meal so that they can be eating it all together. So they have this desire, but they want to know where Christ wants to do it. And, and it says uh, this Passover, that's ex- uh, specifically what they want to be celebrating. Now we see in Exodus chapter 12 where it talks about this Passover. They were supposed to Uh, sacrifice this lamb, and uh, the blood of the lamb was supposed to be put onto the doorway of of the house. Uh, Tony Evans has been preaching about the Passover and talks about how this is specifically an act of faith. Uh, You can think about how uh, uh, this would really be an act of faith because uh, Moses comes down and tells him that God has sent him And uh, he then comes and says uh, that God wants them to put the blood on the doorway. Now, if they don't do that, all the firstborns would die. I think about my own family, that that wouldn't cause me any problem. I'm a second. I'm a middle child. I got an older brother and I got a younger sister. So this doesn't have a problem with me. But, But it would be a problem for Hannah, wouldn't it? And she might be saying, uh, Dad, did you put the blood? Ah, that Moses. He's been out in the desert too long. All that heat. He's not thinking. Why would God talk to Moses? All the Israel's right here, and he's going to go talk to some guy out in the... It takes a step of faith to apply the blood to the doorway, does it not? And really, I don't have necessarily as much to lose as Hannah, and I'm sure that Hannah would be very insistent. Let's go ahead and do it. Oh, there's time. It's not till later that that's supposed to happen. It's, it's only 6 o'clock, and it's supposed to come at night. We'll do it later. I'm watching a show right now. Turn off the TV. Let's do this now, right? Because it, it's her life. But it's, a, it's an act of faith. And, and really, these type of celebrations it, it require that the person meditate on God. I'm sure that people, many of the people went through this celebration just as a cultural experience. They got together, they ate the food, and it was nothing more. They didn't think about God. They just, they just did things. They just ate. Well, but the same thing can happen to us. We can make church attendance just a cultural activity. That's what we do on Sundays. We get dressed up and we come here. Why? I don't know why. We just, that's what we do. Why, why do we take the Lord's Supper? It's a free little meal that they offer at church sometimes. I don't know why. Why do we dunk people in water? 
if we don't do it geared meditating on God, then, then it loses its purpose altogether. Here they want to celebrate the Passover. Uh, I'm sure you know, they've celebrated the Passover before with Jesus. I'm sure that they never made the connection when John the Baptist said in John chapter 1, verse 29, uh, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It, it will make a lot more sense after the ascension of Christ. But here they are. They want to celebrate this Passover. So Jesus is going to answer. He's going to tell them. He said, and there's two imperatives in this sentence. The first is go. And they're supposed to go into the city. And the city is, is swollen up four times as much people as there usually is. And, and they're supposed to find a certain man. Now, out of the whole New Testament, this is the only use of this word in Greek. It's, it's the only time it's used. And it, it really, the idea is, uh, uh, you know, it means like somebody or a, a certain person. It, it really doesn't identify that person very clearly. So go into the city. The city is just swollen with, with people. And, and go find a, a, a guy. Well, which guy? A, a guy. And, and say to him, uh, that's the other imperative, say to him, the teacher says, now who's the teacher? I'm going to find some dude, and I'm going to tell him, the teacher says. Does he mean like the high priest? Who's he talking about, this teacher? What does he teach? He says, my time is near. Now, there are different words in Greek that refer to time. We know in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it talks about at a certain time Christ came into the world to die. Uh, this is not the same word here. This, this, idea, this word for time has more of an idea of a season, when everything comes together for a, a specific thing. Uh, for example, uh, when is fruit ripe? Can, do you plant the seed and you can say 28 days later I'll have ripe fruit? Well, of course not. That would be absurd. There's all types of things that have to come into play, uh, light and water and so forth, for there to be an exact time when that fruit is ripe. All these things have to come together. This is, his time is near. Everything's coming together. And I am to keep the Passover at your house. Well, that sounds great. I'm sure some stranger would say, yeah, I'd like to have the teacher in my house. I've, I've got a little spot on the corner there where he can recline. Uh, my family will be eating. He can be right there, and this will be fantastic. But, but he, he doesn't say just him. He says, with my disciples. Well, how many disciples does he have? Can you imagine somebody coming up to you, that I came up to you and said, um, I want to celebrate Christmas dinner at your house with the church. And you're like, well, what do you mean the church? Like just the English side? Or is the Spanish side too? Like, how many people are going to show up at my house? No, 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 we're just going to show up. You say, no, I don't want that. Do it at the church. It sounds like a church event. Have it at the church. He says he's going to come and the disciple. It's so vague. You wonder if, if such a thing would happen. Especially in light of the fact that the gospel is clearly presented and articulated through the scriptures. And we are scared of sharing that, which is so clearly said. Can you imagine just trying to find some guy and, and say, hey, the, the teacher wants to go to your house and with his disciples. We're going to eat tonight. Can you imagine? Uh, who would you go up to? How would you pick the person out? 
But that's what Jesus says. I mean, it seems so absurd. Who would obey that? I mean, you kind of have to think, like, this is a little crazy. Verse 19 says, the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. The key word there is that little conjunction, as. The disciples did, and that as connects, Jesus directed them to what the disciples did. It's not that the disciples said, ignore that, we're going to go do our own thing. They went out and did exactly as Jesus told them to do. They heard Jesus' words, and then they went out and obeyed what Jesus said. There is a direct correlation between Jesus commanding them and them doing what Jesus said. And it says that they prepared the Passover. It would have been kind of early afternoon. They would have then gone to the house and slaughtered the the lamb and start preparing everything. And they were supposed to eat the lamb, all of it, Whatever wasn't eaten would put in the fire and was burned totally. And that's, that's what they were going to do. Now you can imagine this thing, it's going to go kind of late. And, and they would have the dinner kind of late. Uh, I remember being invited one time to someone's home, sometimes in Venezuela. They'll, uh, uh, they won't start cooking until you get there. And so usually they say hello and chit-chat a little bit. And then, and then they get up and they'll start cooking. And uh, that's fine if you're going to do french fries and chicken tenders and put it in the oven and keep on talking and voila, you're done. But uh, if you're making something a little bit more elaborate, it takes a while. Well, this person wanted to make flan. Well, flan, you got to put in a, a bain-marie, put it in the oven. And then once it's done, you got to pull it out, let it get to room temperature, then you got to put it in the fridge so it can cool off. I'm like, we're going to be here all night. You know, by the time that thing gets done... Here they are going to go prepare. They've got to get everything together. got to get the bread, unleavened bread and, and the lamb and everything. It's going to be late at night when they finally go and eat. But they were dedicated to doing what Jesus wanted them to do. They did it just as Jesus said. And that's what disciples do. Disciples do what God tells them to do. And, and if we could apply this, we see this, that we're supposed to be listening to God. We can apply this by, we see that they are, they hear what Jesus said. I mean, it sounds absurd. Go find some certain guy and tell him that tonight we're going to have a Passover at his house because my time is near. And the teacher says so. That sounds absurd. Who would do this? But they obeyed. They listened to the words, and then they went and did that. The, desire, the, the thing that we see is that the disciples had a certain desire and it was a good desire. They wanted to prepare a meal for Jesus. It's a very good desire, very noble desire. They communicated that desire to Jesus. But at the end, they had to yield their desire to what Jesus communicated. Many times we have desires. And many times they're good desires. And many times we pray and pray and pray to God, please, I would like to do this. But what we see here as maybe an example is that they, uh, first of all, yield their desire to obeying what God has revealed. That's what they have to do. They have to yield first to what God has revealed. They can't do their desire first. Uh, Many times we want to do our desire and think that later on, once we've done our desire, then we will obey to the revelation. Uh, I've heard of missionaries many times. They, they spend no time 
witnessing here in the States, but they think that they'll get over to the mission field, and then they'll start evangelizing. And lo and behold, they'll get to the mission field. They didn't evangelize here. They're definitely not going to be doing it overseas either. There's always stuff that gets in the way. It starts with obeying here and now what God has revealed. God has revealed certain things to us, what, how he wants us to live, how we're supposed to be holy as he is holy, how we're supposed to be conformed more to the image of Christ, how we're supposed to look less and less like ourselves, that people should be able to see Christ in us. Especially if you look over a course of years, the person should be able to say, I remember five years ago, boy. And look at the change that has happened in your life. There should be that. Because we're listening to God. Now, not only do we listen to God, but we obey God. Uh, James talks about this in, in James 1, through 25. He says, uh, but prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself, had gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. See, there's a lot of people who want to hear the word. But then there's the next step of obeying. The disciples didn't just hear what Jesus said. They went out and did it. And they found this certain person that was willing to open up his house for the teacher with his disciples to come and eat. They, they obeyed. They heard what Jesus said. Then they put it into practice. Now, one thing that's kind of neat about God is that God will give you the desires of your heart. God will give you the desires of your heart. The disciples had this desire to serve Jesus in this way, but first they had to listen to Jesus, they had to obey Jesus, and then they finally got the opportunity to prepare this Passover for Jesus. Now, how does God give us the desires of our hearts? Well, sometimes our desires match or align with God's desires. And at a certain time, he allows us to do those things. So we have a desire to do X, Y, Z, that aligns with what God wants to do, and we do it, right in his timing. Other times, though, our desires are contrary to what God wants to do. It doesn't match up. We have this desire, and God's like, no, I, I don't want that for your life. What happens in those situations? Well, God it has the ability to change our desires, what we want. That, that's an amazing thing. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, Paul has this desire to go to Asia. He wants to go preach the gospel. He wants to go share. But time and time again, the door gets closed. At all these different cities he tries to go to. And finally he goes to Philippi. And there he is able to preach. And lo and behold, uh, it seems like this is just a, a terrible situation because at Philippi, he gets beaten up. He gets thrown into prison. Like, I, I knew I should have gone to Asia. Maybe this would have never happened. But God changed his desire and took him to Philippi. Now, if you read the epistle to the Philippians, you'll notice that there's really nothing negative at all in, in the epistle. There's all this joy about wanting to write them and see them and be able to share with them again. It, over and over again, it just comes out how he has this love for them. How did that happen? 
God changed Paul's desire from going to one place and moved him specifically to another place. And God does that too. God ends up giving us new desires when our desires don't match up. We hear God, we obey God, and lo and behold, our desires change to match what God desires, what God has for us to do. Now we're looking specifically at disciples do what God tells them to do. And we saw that the first point matches up with listening to what God, uh, listening to God. That's how we do that. Uh, Disciples do what God tells them to do, and we do that by listening to God. But there's a second point here that we see in this text, and that is that they uh, quickly accept God's grace when they fail. Disciples will quickly accept God's grace when they fail. And how do we do that? How do we quickly accept God's grace when we fail? And uh, the answer is by listening to God. You're like, that sounds a lot like point one. It is. It sounds almost identical to point one, doesn't it? Uh, When we, disciples, they listen to God. What God tells them to do, they listen to God. And when God, when they fail, they also need to be listening to God. And we see that in verses 20 to 25. Here in verses 20 to 25, they're there at the table. (laughs) They were able to find somebody who opened the door, not only to Jesus, but to the disciples. They're there, it's evening time, and Jesus is reclining at the round of the table. Uh, They are eating, it's given in a in a present tense, which has, kind of gives this idea of this continuing action that they're doing. They're eating, they're, just, they're eating, and while they're eating, Jesus says, truly I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now this has been declared several other times, but it's, it's always been kind of abstract. There's always been a bunch of other people. Now, who could this person be? Well, somebody out there, somebody out there will be, betray Jesus. But now they're in a room, very intimate room, with a table, with the disciples around. And one that's there will will betray Jesus. Now, an interesting thing about the word betray is that it's in the future tense. And this has caused a lot of ink to be spilled. Did Jesus not know that Judas had already gone out? Maybe in all the preparations for getting ready for the Passover and telling them about the teacher wanting a place. Maybe he forgot that Judas already went out and accepted funds to be able to betray Jesus. Does Jesus not know? Well, we know from some of the actions that he does later on, right here in these verses, that he does know. But it seems to distinguish between when we're planning to betray and then when we actually betray. It seems like there's a distinction Jesus is making. And that distinction allows a certain amount of ability to repent and to turn away. He says, uh, the, the being deeply grieved, the disciples hear this and they are deeply grieved. They're, it's like they're, it, it gives two connotations. One is to have the uh, uh, being very vexed, like, like it hurts them, it cut them deep. Uh, but it also has this idea of, of being insulted. Like you would think that I would betray you? How, how dare you? I've been walking all this time with you, and you think I, I would betray you? It kind of has that idea, too. And they're there saying, surely not I, Lord. Jesus answered and says, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl 
is the one who will betray me. This certain person who's done this. Verse 24 says, The Son of Man is to go, just as is written of him, but woe to that man who the Son of Man is betrayed. So he talks about how the Son of Man is supposed to be betrayed, and it says specifically, as it is written. Where is it written that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed? Well, in Daniel chapter 7, we saw that the Son of Man will appear. In Daniel chapter 8, we see this kind of uh, figure of these two different animals that are, are uh, going to be uh, battling. And uh, in verse 25, it says that they'll rise up against the prince of princes. And then in Daniel 9.25, it talks about Daniel's 70 weeks. And specifically, it talks about the Messiah, the prince, that will get cut off after a certain amount of weeks. So it was anticipated, it was prophesied, this was going to happen. It's something already set in motion before the foundation of the world. This was set in motion, but he says it would have been better for that person, woe to that person who betrayed him. Wow. Uh, Many people have wished that they hadn't been born. Job had that experience. After the loss of all the things he had and the loss of his family, he, he thought it would have been better had he never been born, or if he had been born, that he would have just died rather than going through all this trouble. And many other people throughout life have had experiences where they get to a point where they're so down that they wish, they wish to anything, they hadn't been born. A newspaper in Spain was saying that the attempted suicide rate in Spain has increased uh, over 200%. All those people without hope, no hope at all. The only hope is, is death. But here Jesus is the one saying, Woe to the man uh, who betrays the Son of Man, uh, who the Son of Man has betrayed. It would have been good that that man, if he had not been born. This is not somebody feeling this personally. This is Jesus saying that this person, it would have been better. Now, in what way is Jesus acting? Well, he's acting as a, as a prophet. He's acting as a prophet and he's telling these things. Of course, Judas answers and says, and Judas, who was betraying him, that uh, participle there, it, it uh, describes Judas. So it's no longer Judas Iscariot, but now it's Judas Betrayer, uh, which kind of shows a, a change that has happened in him. He's no longer Judas Iscariot. He's Judas, the one who's betraying. And he says, uh, surely it is not I, Rabbi. Well, how pious does that sound? Jesus said to him, you have said it yourself. He knew. Jesus knew. Now, how does this deal with listening to God? How does verse 20 through 25 deal with listening to God? Because the proposition is that disciples, uh, they need to quickly accept God's grace when they fail, and they do this by listening to God. Uh, We see that when God reveals himself, it's an act of mercy and grace. Jesus is acting like a prophet, and he's telling them who's going to betray him. Now, in, in this prophet, this role of a prophet, the prophet would give the word of God so that the people would have an opportunity to repent. Think of, for example, Jonah. Jonah shows up at Nineveh and he preaches that they're about to be destroyed. Uh, What was the point of telling them that they're about to be destroyed? Just so that they could have that information? No, the point of having that information so that they can repent, and they did. 
Was Nineveh destroyed at that time? No, because the people repented. Getting this revelation from God allows the people to find out what's the matter and they can be able to repent. Here, Jesus exposes Judas' uh, Judas's sin. Does Judas repent? He, he does not repent. And, and what we see is a certain amount of, uh, if you would allow me, a limited free will. You're like, those don't go together. <laughs> those words don't go together. You can't say limited and free will. In what sense is, uh, can you have a limited free will? God in his sovereignty allows certain decisions, us to make certain decisions. He, he does. There are certain decisions that we can't make. Uh, we don't decide who our parents are going to be. <laughs> we don't decide where we're going to be born. We don't decide a bunch of things. Uh, we don't decide our genes. Uh, we don't decide any of that stuff. God decides that, but he does allow certain decisions for us to make. But please understand that certain decisions, that when you start making those decisions, they put you on a path that has no return. And I'll give you an example. Say, um, say I get sick of life. I want to go commit suicide. I want to go to the Empire State Building to do this. Now, I get my plane ticket, go off to Empire State Building. You know you got to take two different elevators to get to the top. You take the one up, and then you got to cross over and go up all the way. There you are at the top. And there you're looking down. And you say, I'm jumping. I jump. What happens if uh, in my free will I decide I no longer want to commit suicide? Can I change the course? Can I say, no, I'm a free will agent and I'm going to stop this now? No. See, there's certain decisions that you can't turn away from. They, they lead down a certain path that there's no going back. And, and that's where Judas is at. He hears the revelation but his heart is hardened, and there's no going back for him. But I wonder about us here. I wonder if there's still an opportunity for some of us who maybe have been rejecting over and over again the gospel, but here you're hearing it today that Christ died for sinners, and if you'll put your faith in that work, you can be saved. You say, no, not today. I'll do it later. At another time, I will repent. Ha! Huh. You're not guaranteed that. You're not guaranteed that if you go down that path at some later point, you'll be able to repent. Because just like a person that jumps off a building can't say, well, I, I'm going to go back up. That doesn't happen. There's consequences to the decisions you make. And here Jesus exposes Judas. But Judas doesn't repent. He has a hardened heart. Disciples do what God tells them to do, and they quickly accept God's grace when they fail. And that's the amazing thing about God. He gives grace. We're going to fail, but He gives grace. And He reveals Himself to us through His Word. And it gives us an opportunity to repent, to cry out to God. And He says that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. That, that's an amazing truth. But only when we quickly accept God's grace. I'll, I'll do that later. I've got things I want to do right now. You're not guaranteed to come back. You're not guaranteed that if you go down that road, you'll be able to come back. Let's pray. Father, 
Thank you for the example of the disciples that they, they heard these words from Jesus and disregarded the fact that it just seemed so crazy and they just went out and just obeyed. They had a desire, but instead of following the desire, they obeyed, they listened, they obeyed, and, and then they were allowed to do that desire. Father, we see this other example of, of Judas. He's got this opportunity to repent, but he's already made decisions. There's no going back. Father, I pray that you would rescue us from that, that we would see your revelation in your word and we would accept it and we would quickly accept your mercy and your grace and repent and seek you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand with me and we'll sing this one stanza of invitation.